Hello, everyone, and welcome to another edition of Troy Noons is an Absolute Podcast. I'm your host, as always, John Casillo, and with me today is Dan Lyons. Hello again, everyone, and uh, congratulations to all the Georgetown fans out there. You know what you did. <laughs> indeed, indeed. Um, so, as we mentioned on the... Uh, it ended up being Tuesday night slash Wednesday morning podcast. Uh, that was all Syracuse basketball and talking about the season preview. This is going to be our regularly scheduled programming, um, all about Syracuse football and other assorted garbage, um, as normally happens here for at least 30 minutes. Yeah, uh, we get to talk about the, the Clemson game, the second worst thing that's happened this week, and uh, hopefully NC State game won't be the third. Yeah, whatever, Clemson game. You know what? Here's the thing. Like, I, it, it's whatever. It, it is whatever at this point, because, like, I really did, like, kind of, like, I resigned myself to a loss, like, within, like, the first or second drive that, like, Wilson took over. I'm just like, all right, let's just move on. Let's just make sure we don't have any other injuries. Um, I guess that's a good segue into the injury report that came out today. Um, Eric Dungey was listed as questionable, which I all, think we all believe is hedging uh, Dino Bayer's bets. Um, and that we're not that he really isn't exactly sure, but he's trying to make sure he's not perceived as quote unquote wrong here. Uh, that's fine. That's typical kind of coach gamesmanship, and uh, obviously it's frustrating to preview the game. It's frustrating to predict what's going to happen um, with that in mind. But um, still, it, it is what it is. On the bright side, um, no additional injuries to report. Um, Devin Butler and Omar Palmer have been out for weeks. Um, I did not see Mo Neal or Brisley Esteem on that list. Doesn't mean that they're going to play, uh, based on you know what we've seen with these injury reports and what we've seen with other status updates with this team, including the depth chart. But um, good sign that they're not there. While Eric Dungy's name uh, was questionable, second status update down uh, on the four tier system, obviously, which closer to playing, but still not playing, at least in my mind. Yeah, um, I, I kind of expect to see Dungy out there, if only because it seems like he wasn't, based on his presence on the sideline uh, after he got hurt against Clemson, um, that's a pretty good sign that it wasn't a concussion, as long as it wasn't like some kind of breakdown in the system. But uh, obviously, I think our, our staff knows, or at least our medical staff is uh, well aware of concussion protocol at this point after the last couple of years. So um, I think that was a positive sign. And all the fact the fact that a bunch of guys said that he was out there practicing, who knows, like, what, you know, how involved in practice he was or if he was full go or whatever. But um, whenever there's a major player like this out, especially at the quarterback position, uh, I think you can expect a little bit of posturing. Um, and then also you consider that you have two backups in Austin Wilson and uh, Zach Mahoney, who both um, could be the guy if Dungy is out and are both incredibly different. So you, you actually end up throwing a lot uh, a lot of possibilities out there for NC State to game plan for. Um so it's, it's, you know, it's definitely uh, a little bit of coach posturing, but I think this is one of those situations where, you know, maybe if you give the Wolfpack a little bit more extra to think about it, it's not the worst thing in the world. Yeah, I, I can't really argue with that. Like I said, it's, it's tough for us to preview the game as well. Uh, it's tough for us to really know what to expect. But at the same time, um, I'll take things uh, being a little bit more difficult for our opponent. Um, you know, when we were talking to um, NC State bloggers, they don't really seem too confident about um, their own chances here. Uh, I think that, you know, that, that's just coming from four straight losses that they feel are, and look a little beaten down. But 
when you figure that you know a couple of those losses came close uh, to Clemson and Florida State, there's reason, reason for optimism there. Um, the defense isn't all that bad. The offense isn't great, but I, I wouldn't call it anemic either. Um, you know, and, and then it's tough to project. You know, if uh, if Dungey can't go, you know, what Syracuse's offense is going to look like. Um, I think with Wilson, we're still going to throw the ball a lot, but against Clemson, which again, Clemson caveat, um, didn't look great. But with Mahoney, we're going to run it more. Um, and the run game hasn't looked great all year, but uh, it seems like Mahoney knows how to protect himself a little bit better uh, when running the ball, at least from what we saw last year and uh, at least the one time he uh, carried as well um, against Clemson late in the, uh, the game last Saturday. Yep, didn't want me to unmute. Um, <laughs> yeah, no, I, I totally agree. Um, and it, it was very weird seeing Wilson go out there. Um, obviously, they thought, I, I'm assuming they thought that he just was the best choice for that matchup, even though uh, earlier in the year, whenever we brought someone else in, it was Mahoney. Um, I think I'd prefer to see Mahoney just because I think he's a little more proven. Wilson didn't look very good in Clemson. Wilson hasn't looked very good um, in other times where he's been thrust into action. Um so I think I would roll roll the dice with Mahoney unless unless the coaching staff thinks that like he's just such a uh, a bad fit for the offense. Um, but this is also an offense that uh, I mean maybe not under Babers all the time, but the roots of the offense like it adjusts pretty well to different styles and different quarterbacks. So um, uh, it will be very interesting to see what they do. They go they go with. I know I think Mahoney will probably be like the uh, the popular fan choice, but obviously most important thing is what Babers thinks is best. So hopefully it doesn't, it's, uh, hopefully it isn't an issue at all. And we see Dungy out there like normal and he can go and try to take advantage of what is a pretty porous pass defense. Yeah. Uh, you know, I think, um, so yeah, like you were saying, Dan, the NC state defense is bad, um, against the pass. They seem to be a little bit better against the run. Um, but against the pass, it is a bit ugly. They're in the bottom, uh, kind of quarter of the, uh, entire FBS, uh, they're letting up over 250 yards per game. Part of that's the teams they've faced, uh, whether that's Florida State or Clemson or East Carolina. Um, but nonetheless, um, if the team is going to you know, test their corners, test their safeties uh, consistently, they're going to be able to complete passes. Um, from some of the games I, I've seen parts of, uh, it does seem like they're susceptible both over the top and near the line of scrimmage. I feel like that bodes really well um, for SU no matter who's a quarterback, but again, specifically Dungey. Yeah, it's. Uh, I I think it would be really huge if Dungey can play. Obviously, there's the like outside shot at a bowl really on the line in this one. This is a game that Syracuse needs to have if that's the expectation. I don't necessarily think that it's like a you know a bowl or die thing at this point. Obviously, there are larger goals at work this season, but um, it'd be nice to see Dungey have a chance to uh, face a defense like this, just because you know he's been putting up such impressive numbers and and. Doing stuff like that's uh, not the worst thing for the program. Getting in, in like you know, top of some leaderboards, getting uh, Amba some extra love. Um, so, yeah, I, I would hope that Dungey's out there. If not, uh, it'll be interesting to see. I, I kind of expect it to be Wilson, just based on his vertical passing uh, ability compared to Mahoney. But um, overall, I, I think it's uh, it's definitely intriguing. There's a little bit of part of me that wants to see Mahoney, if only just as I want to see what Babers does with him, um, because there's like. You don't really know. Like, we kind of know what the Dungy offense looks like right now and its current permutation. I have no idea what the Mahoney offense would look like, and I just kind of want to see Babers' like, offensive mind work with uh, a completely different quarterback. 
Part of me wants to see that. Part of me does not. Just because I don't feel like the group, especially on the offensive line, completely gets it with the like actual offense. I don't want to start throwing other wrinkles in. I just feel like, and again, that's not to doubt Babers or, or the players. It's just to say that I don't necessarily think that putting Mahoney in there accomplishes much from a development standpoint. Again, like between the holding calls and you know offside penalties and everything else that that we see week after week with this line and some of the receivers and I, I just think that you know Wilson gives us the best chance to keep things going the way they are even if the the points and, and yardage might not match the the system itself would um, I feel like you know putting Mahoney out there might actually end up being a detriment to him detriment to the team's development um, and I don't necessarily know if and this is I'm sure you know just echoing a lot of the like teeth gnashing and comments um, in the uh, the threads earlier this week, but I don't necessarily know if putting him out there really helps anybody at the end of the day, even if he might be the better, quote-unquote, player uh, than Wilson. Yeah, I think that's a really fair point, and um, obviously you don't want to do like any damage to the development of the team, and that is what the senior is all about, especially with like the offensive line like you brought up. Um, I think it's like more for like my personal edification. Like it'd be an interesting <laughs> thing to see. Um, but like you said, I don't know if that's the best thing for the team. And obviously, that is the main uh, the main goal here is to continue to get better, um, which I think is a thing that this team has done for the most part this year. Yeah. So I mean, said we we can only do so much, um, and really on our end, nothing uh, while we wait. Uh, in the meantime, uh, NC State's still here. Dan, looking at some of the other elements that don't really involve Dungy, uh, specifically defensively, um, is there anything uh, that you see that went horribly wrong against Clemson that has to change against NC State? Anything that went maybe right against Clemson or another team that we could also apply against the Wolfpack? Um, I think Clemson was just a really bad matchup for what this Syracuse team is. Obviously, like you, there was a, a little bit of hope just because this team's played Clemson tough you're not the favorite because you know Alabama still Alabama. They're the, the best shot at someone taking down Alabama, which I guess after last year's championship is, is kind of fair. But uh, that that not considers like the fact that Clemson's been really consistent this year. So um, they're a really really good team, and uh, no one really expected Syracuse to win. You know, you maybe hope it would be a little closer, but it, it's hard to really uh, get too down over that. Even even a 54 nothing loss, like in context, it's it's really not that big a deal. Yeah, and I mean, it, to me, the, the only big deal there was just the optics of it. Um, you know, it was really 47 nothing. That 54 nothing was only because of the tacked-on interception return for, like, some miracle tip ball that never should have happened to begin with. Um, you know, obviously, SU's defense was just tested far too much. They were too exhausted. Uh, the offense couldn't move the ball with Wilson at the helm, so they were on the field. Um, you know, every few minutes it was, I mean, I even saw it on the replay. Um, and, and I'm usually just watching the offensive side of the ball. Um, and you could even see just kind of like skipping through quick, uh, just how gassed that defense was. Obviously they're shorthanded, um, in the front four and in the back four, it doesn't really help matters. Um, Clemson, like you said, is a bad matchup for a lot of different teams. Um, I know some people were talking this week uh, that Clemson was a bad matchup for Virginia Tech. And it's funny because then I started thinking, well, like if Clemson's a bad matchup for Virginia Tech, if we're a bad matchup for Virginia Tech, but then we're also a bad matchup for Clemson, we're just starting to, to kind of connect some, some goofy kind of transitive, like 
if X then Y uh, lines and not really coming up with anything other than Clemson's better than most of the teams in the ACC. Yeah, I mean, transitive property, it works so well in college football all the time. <laughs> so looking at NC State's stats, you know, specifically Ryan Finley um, started really well, has kind of dropped off since. Um, but you know what? I mean, 61% completions, over 2,000 yards, uh, 14 and 7 TD to interception ratio. None of these things are bad. Um, running the ball, they're not great as a team, but Matthew Days is really good, um, and he's been able to abuse a lot of teams um, up front, and I'm sure he would be able to do the same to Syracuse. Though, I will mention against Clemson, if you take out one 30-yard run uh, for Wayne Gallman, he was held to uh, less than 3.5 yards per carry. Um, and as a team, they really didn't run the ball super efficiently. So about 44 carries for 195 yards, couple big runs in there but you take out one even one big run and that that average dips pretty low um so obviously Syracuse is able to tighten it up a little bit um I noted noted in the uh Thursday kind of five things to watch piece too if you look down these receivers um you know there's no standout necessarily um above the rest but you're seeing uh you know three or four consistent deep threats um specifically you know Stephen Lewis I'm looking at Braylon Cherry, and I'm looking at, uh, you know, Maurice Troll, who's a little bit further down, and Kelvin Harmon, um, all guys who seem like they're able to uh, to catch long passes. I think I saw nine different players have a, a catch of 25 yards or more this year, which is, a, which is a very large number. It's not the type of number Syracuse has or, or most teams have, which, uh, which should scare us a little bit if we can't really lock in on one guy. Yeah, I, I think... Um... It's tough. like NC State's offense kind of feels like NC State as a team as a whole. Like they are just very down the middle, um, and that's it's weird because that's the way they profile. But then you actually look at like the individual game results, and they make very little sense, um, <laughs> at least in relation to one another. Um, like just look at the last four weeks, they uh, played Clemson and should have beaten Clemson a thousand percent. Like had that game won and didn't, lost by a touchdown. Um, then they went to Louisville, and uh, probably a little bit of a letdown spot, but they did what a lot of teams have done to Louisville, which is getting absolutely shredded, 54-13. And then they gave Boston College their first ACC win in uh, two years. Yeah. So that was nice of them. They're very giving. And then they lost to Florida State, and they should have won that game, or could have won that game. Not not as not as much of like a giveaway as the Clemson game, but like they still were... Still a giveaway. Yeah, they still trying to give it away. Uh, lost 24-20. So they, they four straight losses two of which uh, were very, very near upsets to two of the three best teams in the conference, one of which was an actual loss to the worst team in the conference, and one was a blowout loss to a team that blows everyone out. Like, that, the Louisville loss is actually the one that makes the most sense of any of them. <laughs> like, Louisville crushes teams because Louisville is running up the store as much as it can every game to try to make the playoff. So, yeah, I get that. Louisville's a lot better than them. They did it to us. Whatever. Like, the other three results don't make any sense. And, and the Notre Dame game, even before that was a win, that game, you could probably just... I mean, Notre Dame's not good, so it's not surprising they beat Notre Dame. But having watched that entire game, um, because I was stuck with Notre Dame family while in Wake Forest, or while in Winston-Salem, um, that was, like, the worst football game that's ever happened. And you could probably just throw that out, because the 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 uh, weather in Raleigh was so ridiculous, and the field was in such awful shape that, like, I have no idea which of those two teams is better. So, well, and Notre Dame's game plan was also crap. Yeah, they tried to play it like they were in, a, in, a, in the Dome or something. And they... And also, Brian Kelly has been... Like, I think Brian Kelly is generally a pretty good coach, like a game coach. I think he does mostly good things throughout his career. Brian Kelly is turning in one of the worst season-long coaching performances I've ever seen. <laughs> it is 
atrocious. And it's it started in Texas. Art. It really it's it's awful. It's like when, when like a band that you really liked puts out an album and it doesn't sound anything like them, and you like question whether anything they did before that was good. Like it makes it makes no sense. He has a great quarterback who he, I think he's just like trying to just take away any type of uh, draft stock he could potentially have. draft stock <laughs> confidence. Everything like it's awful. Like what he's done to uh, to Deshaun Kaiser, um, he never found a role for Malik Zaire, who is a very really good athlete and could easily be helping this team in another way besides quarterback. Instead, he just shoves him in there at quarterback every like three games or so when he gets annoyed with Kaiser, who hasn't been great, but he's not like he hasn't been that bad. Um, it just Brian Kelly, like I get that why you wouldn't fire him after one awful season, considering he took him to a national championship and he's you know been the best coach by. Like, it's not even close. He's been the best coach since Lou Holtz, and there's no argument. Um, so one bad season, like you probably shouldn't fire him. But the things he's done are have been so baffling that you almost like I, I get why Notre Dame fans are fed up. And usually I'm not one like I don't think Oregon should fire Helfrich, and we talked about this all the time. I, I just don't really think they should do that just because I think that's such a drastic move for that program to take. Notre Dame can go get another great coach, but like uh, I think you probably should hang on to Kelly just based on the entire resume. But this year has been so weird that, like, you almost wonder, has he just totally, like, has he just lost it? Does he really need to change the scenery? And it kind of seems like that based on both what he's done on the field and then, like, after games where he just throws every single person he can under the bus. It's it's just bizarre. Like, the whole thing with Notre Dame this year has been bizarre. Well, just remember that, like, Brian Kelly was, like, half-heartedly mentioned as a contender for the New York Giants job. It's like, none of this makes any sense. Like, I don't understand what the hell's going on this year. Like, you look at that team, and everything you said is completely correct. It just seemed from week to week. Um, I really enjoyed your uh, your kind of album comparison. I was thinking through, like, what band can I say that about? And I have an answer uh, here, I'm, and it's going to piss I, people I have off. One too. Uh, it's definitely Radiohead. <laughs> Ooh, what, 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 what's, which album is the 2016 Notre Dame? King of Limbs. Uh, oh, I kind of like King of Limbs. See, it's not... I didn't think it's not I, as good as I thought it was a Tom York solo album. I, I felt like I felt like it was it was better placed there and I just feel like in general, like when you look at the everything that was manufactured here, like Radiohead really hasn't like written like in, in a in a confined time period, they haven't really written a new album and recorded it successfully since Hail to the Thief. Because, like, everything released since then, a lot of it were, like, old shit and, and stuff that they, like, threw together um, over, like, a 10-year period of recording sessions and messing around with it. So I guess that's where I see, like, you know, Brian Kelly's reached, like, his avant-garde stage where, where, where he's, he's now going to just start testing out different stuff to see, if, to see if people really want the old classics or if they're going to they're gonna sit down, they're going to listen to everything on this new album. That's fair. Mine is uh, MGMT. Um, they put out Oracular Spectacular, which was awesome, had all the big hits, and then they put out Congratulations, which didn't have as many big hits, but I thought was a even better, like, fully contained piece. And then they put out their self-titled album, which is just straight garbage. It's every, no, like, the songs are unlistenable. Um, and that's Notre Dame football. Like, this is an, if Notre Dame was a piece of music, it would be unlistenable. It makes no sense. It's just totally disheveled. Um, Deshaun Kaiser makes very few appearances on an MGMT album, uh, he should be in every track, and he's just not. Um, <laughs> so that, that's my answer there. Uh, feel free to enter the comments and let us know 
uh, which MG, which album from which band this Notre Dame season is. Yeah, no, I, I look. Please, please, please share them. I look forward to it. This is going to be a fun conversation about like, yeah, because like, <laughs> because to me this is like this is like I don't know like pick a like you can't pick somebody good though you got to pick somebody like kind of good but not amazing like just decides okay I'm not going to make this style of music anymore and now I'm going to like just for one track I'm just going to try jazz. For another track, I'm just going to try electronic music. Like, I've never done either of those things before. Um, that's Brian Kelly. He's in this, like, kind of, you know, experimenting with drugs phase um, of his career where he's just trying to see what works because he wants to recapture the magic in, of his genius. The one thing I will say is I bet there are people who really like those albums and think those are, like, the, the height of those bands. I, I, I really want to meet the Notre Dame fan who thinks that 2016 Notre Dame is really where Brian Kelly really found himself. <laughs> like that's where he was most pure as a coach, and y'all don't just you just don't get it. Like you just you you just don't understand what was happening with Notre Dame that year. It really was his best job. I, I'm looking for that person, and if you if you know that person, also send them our way. That person absolutely exists. I'm already writing the uh, the 2016 book about uh, Notre Dame called King of Limbs, <laughs> and it's just Brian Kelly standing atop a pile of injured Notre Dame players and Brian Van Gorder. A forward written by the person who who cashes Charlie Weiss's checks every week. <laughs> Perfect. Uh, <laughs> that got thoroughly derailed. Um, shifting back over to NC State a little bit, since that's how we got here to begin with. Um, NC State is a black hole uh, in many ways and can alter your entire uh, time-space perception. Uh, but Dan, do you think that anything specifically has gone wrong in these last four games that didn't go wrong before that, or is this really just kind of a a team that ran into the wrong teams at the wrong time? Uh, it's it's just so bizarre and across the board. Like, they easily could have won, obviously, two of those games. I mean, they could have won three, because BC only beat them by a touchdown. It's just, they don't seem to have, like, a, a real identity. And, uh, they never it's do. Also, they never do. And it also seems like a case of, like, a team that doesn't know how to win, which, you know, like, that Syracuse this year... Syracuse doesn't really know how to win. They did in the Virginia Tech game, which was, like, the example of, like, all right, something's building here. The problem with NC State is this is, like, this isn't David Horn's first rodeo, so this should be a team that, like, kind of knows the things that it's good at and needs to do in a close game late against a good team, and they just don't have that. So um, I think Doran's one of those guys where, you know, I'm not sure if that that's if this is the time where they move away from him, but, like, Year three, year four is when you kind of hope your team has that identity. Like, you kind of saw it in year four under Doug Marone. That's when second half of that year is when everything clicked and, the, and that team rattled off all those wins because they, they knew what worked for them and they pulled out that USF game and that Mizzou game. And they weren't pretty, but, like, they, they, they knew the things that worked and they happened. Like this NC State game, or team, it's not a bad team. It's a pretty average team. But it's but an average it's team not... with slightly better than average talent. And, and it's a, leaving wins on the board. Right. And, and in a conference that, I mean, if they lose this game, they're going for an eight. Yeah. And, and you think about it like it, you could say, you know, well, they're that's close to winning those three games. But, A, you know, you win the teams. You like, you know, your record is who you say you are. And you also have like a loss to ECU and that BC loss, which uh, which makes things uh, like it's hard to defend a loss to BC. Um, but. Like yeah, you could. You're you're very close to being uh, what seven and two, but you're also super like you're close not. to being two and seven, right? 
Although actually, I guess for them, like well, three and six. three and they three and six. The, they they beat Wake pretty handily, yeah. which is a nice one. Like that's their best one on the year. So other than great. that, though, you got a you got a <laughs> thirty four point win over a four and five William and Mary team. Uh, you got a forty nine twenty two win over a pretty good Old Dominion team. Glad the Monarchs finally decided to show up after you and me were kind of riding for them for a few years. Um, Wake Forest obviously a good win. Notre Dame is trash. Uh, so yeah, this NC State team once again has beaten pretty much no one, uh, and yet could make a bowl with a win here and maybe a win over a tail-spinning Miami team. Um, Although Miami just crushed Pitt, so Miami did. might have figured itself out. We can end this on um, kind of where NC State stands and then get to projections for this game. I feel like their fans want to fire Dorn. You and I sort of said Dorn should have been fired, or at least the consideration should have been there more than it was, uh, while he was kind of struggling along and not really piecing together a ton of ACC wins in a, over the course of his time at, at NC State. But it also begs the question, I know that, uh, was it shut down full cast, or uh, I forgot where, it might have been, uh, was one of the other Espionation podcasts, I was talking about like what, what does NC State think it should be? And I don't know if maybe there's just a, a cognitive dissonance between what they are and what they should be, but I feel like... Dan, do you think NC State can really do the whole, like, win eight or nine games a season thing? Because I, I don't think they can, especially because they never have, like, consistently anyway. Um, I think with the right situation, they probably could win, like, eight or nine a season just because North Carolina has talented or around and... It's not like any of those schools in that state are consistently great. Like, obviously, UNC is having kind of a moment that was expected for a while. But, but Duke, you know, Duke, Duke uh, recruits more nationally. And they have, like, they're trying to do, like, a Stanford East type thing. So they're not going all in on the North Carolina recruits. And then Wake is, you know, just not recruiting at the same level. So I think if you had, like, the right coach, um, you could be, like, a, a contender for, like, not quite what Louisville is now, but also probably better than what, like, the NC States and the Georgia Techs are uh, currently. But getting that coach is also difficult. Like, NC State's not a destination job. It's not a bad job. I think it's a pretty pretty solid job in the right situation. But um, I just don't know what what the the expectations are, like you said. I think, and I'm not, I'm really not sure if Doran's a guy who hits, like, gets them to their, their ideal, like, ceiling. Like, maybe, but it, it's really hard to tell based on these first couple of years because it doesn't seem like, the years are like building on, on themselves. Well, like what's his system? I mean, that's the problem. Like he didn't come in with a, his identity was, I was Jordan Lynch's coach. Right. And like, and now like, you look at since, like they haven't been able to develop quarterback talent. I mean, there's another program. There's actually a few in the ACC, surprisingly, uh, despite how many like pretty solid offenses there are in the conference. Like he can't develop quarterback talent because Brissett was a transfer. Finley was a transfer. Like, okay, like you've, You've trotted out a transfer for almost your entire time at NC State now. Like, at what point are you going to be able to recruit and develop a, a, a talented passer and actually show us what your system is instead of just what you're inheriting? Yeah, I, I think that's that's really the key here. Um, it just, like we say, it's not like NC State's been awful. Like, I mean, the first couple of years it was rough, but that's to be expected for a new coach. But it just, there there isn't an identity, and it, it's not like, like, when you say, what does Syracuse football look like? Even in year one, like it's very easy. Spread spread the ball out. If you've watched Baylor play, it's it's a an aggressive this year passing uh, oriented version of that. Obviously, that might change going forward, but 
you can very succinctly describe Syracuse's identity on both sides of the ball. Um, NC State, it's very tough. <laughs> you could even describe it, it under Schaefer. Like, I mean, not on offense, but on defense you could. On defense you could do it, yeah, for sure. There was Schaefer built a, a you know, obviously for all of his faults. Like, on defense we knew exactly what Stott Schaefer was, and most years under Schaefer it was quite effective. Um, Marone had kind of the same Doran issue, but Marone also had, like, a rotating cast of offensive coordinators where Doran, I mean, Matt Canada's been there, like, the whole time, right? He's Can Canada leave? Oh, I think he did. He leave this year. I thought he left this year. Um, but also Doran, I think is. I mean, oh, he's, he's a pit. Oh yeah, yeah, he is a pit. Um, yeah, I mean, I think, I think, but at the same time, like Marone had people calling for his job around this time in in his tenure that Doran did, and Marone turned it around in a big way. Um, like right now, like this is kind of where. Doran start where Doran is now is where Marone started winning a bunch of games, and Marone also had an eight-win year in year two with like all players he inherited, which is better than what Doran has done really. So, um, I think that's where you forgive a little bit more. But and I think going forward, like if Marone had stuck around uh, with Hackett and everyone else, like I think we would have probably seen just more building on that uh, that run and shoot offense that they were or the K gun offense that they were running. Um, instead, you know, obviously we got sent to uh, the spiral of, of the Schaefer offensive era. But with Doran, like, I, I don't know where they go, especially as they bring in new talent. Like, do they just, it, it doesn't, nothing really makes, like, it, it's, stuff just isn't building on itself, which is really important when you have a middling Power 5 team. Like, you need identity. Not every school can just plug in players and, and send them out in the field and, and be good. So, I get I get the frustration. It might be a little premature, but I get the frustration. And if they don't make a bowl, then I think it's, it's a legitimate argument. You know, I completely buy that. And I think, you know, I was just looking over, because um, they were trying to, they were honestly, and I'll give them this, they were trying to create identity um, with Eli Drinkowitz. But, like, was he just supposed to be able to, but again, like, it's, it's, it's another inherited identity thing where instead of creating your own and having a quarterback that you, like, hone into your system or a system you hone to your quarterback instead... They got Ryan Finley as a transfer, and then they went and hired his former Boise State coach. Like so, once again, you're you're plugging in somebody else's system and and, and toys into your non-system, and then expecting it to work in year one. And this is after they had they took in Jacoby Brissett as a transfer, which obviously worked. I mean, he had a couple of years there, so if you can get a couple of years out of die, it's whatever. But like, look at what happened. What's happened to Oregon? Um, it seems like Herbert's the die now. He's been really good, but like before that, they. You know, when you when you bring in all these transfers, it makes it very difficult to establish an identity, which is something that Oregon always had. And the minute you kind of get away from that and stop recruiting for the quarterback position, and then uh, you kind of lose, you know, obviously replacing Marcus Mariota is easier said than done. But they kind of went away with from what worked uh, a little bit. And you know, you had the Vernon Adams injury and everything fell apart last year, um, and they ended up being pretty good. But then this year, they they went back to the well and they brought in Prukop and. Uh, that clearly didn't work out. So, you know, maybe they're finding their way towards the end of the year here, but but now you find Helfrich in, in all kinds of heat. So um, just kind of like having an identity is just so important in college football. It's it's not like the NFL where most teams are running variations of the same offensive system. And then like, you know, most NFL, even defenses, like if you're a 4-3, like all those 4-3s kind of have the same, a lot of the same things. Like their college is so radically uh, different across the board, which is I think one of the really real charms of it. Um and NC State just doesn't seem to have, have that thing. 
Agreed, agreed. Um, before we get into predictions, wanted to quick get into the college football playoff this week. Um, obviously, you and I both keep track of what's going on outside of the, uh, the walls of Syracuse, and this should have been and was, for the most part, the uh, easiest you know, top four that you could form. Uh, Dan, do you see any issue with the top four? I assume no. And then if not, do you see someone outside? Which team, I guess, outside that top four do you see is the most likely to crash, if any? Um, I think if Washington loses, and I think it, it very well might either this weekend or against Washington State, um, I'm they're, they're a favorite in both those games, but those are pretty good teams. Uh, I think they're in trouble. Um, a one-loss Pac-12 champion Washington might be okay, but it just, like, based on A&M being ahead of them in the first rankings, uh, unless you're just calling that, like, a straight publicity grab for the committee, which is also possible, um, yeah, that wouldn't that. make me feel great as a Washington fan, because, like, you kind of get senses of, like, who the teams that, that the committee likes and the teams that doesn't. Like, clearly they really like Auburn. Um, clearly they don't think of much of LSU, who had, like, the clo- probably the second closest loss anyone's had to Alabama this year and played them to a standstill for three quarters and plummeted, like, 12 spots after they lost by 10. Well, this is the um, problem now. As you look at these standings and, like, is, is this not the BCS where it's just a lot of brands – and a lot of, I mean, granted, there's a lot of brand names that happen to be very good this year, but uh, you know, we're drinking the Kool-Aid quite a bit on Penn State, on Oklahoma, on USC, which at 20 is just asinine. Um, you know, I think Boise at 22 is a bit of a stretch right now, based on their resume. Um, if, if we're going to put a Mountain West team in there, I'd much rather see Wyoming. Uh, considering their resume, um, another one lost team that comes to mind. One I wrote about today, actually over on the comeback, uh, Troy, who played within six of Clemson's won every other game so far. Um, I know they're thirtieth uh, in F plus right now too, so it's not as if they're a bad team that's just you know racking up wins against a bad schedule. I guess to me, I just see a lot of hypocrisy in these rankings, and it's it's frustrating uh, that we're just we're just going to end up in you know kind of brand ball all over again. Yeah, I mean, that's kind of what Talchable is, but it'd be nice to see Washington crash the party because, like, while there was a lot of hype heading into Washington or heading into the season, and it's actually kind of shocking that it seems like they've lived up to all of it and more, um, which never seems to happen uh, for teams that aren't Alabama or Ohio State or those, you know, those big names. Um, It is, I mean, branded is also a huge part, along with identity, uh, to the college football thing. Um, I'd be... I think that if they have a chance to put both Michigan and Ohio State in, um, they will probably take it. And so Washington and like part of me would love that because that'd be an awesome like game if that you know especially if the first game's close, which would probably have to happen. But like also, you know, so if you're no. a Washington fan and they slip up in the Apple Cup and then win the Pac-12 convincingly and they have one loss and it was like a weird loss to Wazoo. Like, I would feel pretty stupid, or I wouldn't feel great about, you know, missing the playoff because of that when, like, Ohio State got beat pretty soundly by Penn State or and then looked pretty bad for a bunch of games. So, uh, right now, I think I think it's hard to argue with the top four, and obviously all four of those teams could easily hold serve, and then we have the, the, the field, and I don't think there'd be much arguing with that because it, it, I think that would be a really intri- intriguing four, but there's still a lot to happen, and college football generally doesn't shake out in the most obvious ways. 
Like, I, I today just kind of on a whim chose USC to beat Washington just as it kind of feels like a thing that would happen. Yeah. Um, but, you know, we'll see. I, I, I would be fine either way. I, I, I like the four that we have. Um, I also would love to see, like, Louisville get involved. I would love to see a Louisville-Alabama game just because, like, Lamar Jackson is the exact type of quarterback that gives Nick Saban defenses a lot of problems, and I would just love to see how that happened, how that would work. Um, but Louisville needs a lot of work, and it doesn't seem like the committee loves them because they're beating teams by 50 every week, but they're stuck behind Ohio State, and it seems like they're being blocked out. So they need a bunch of stuff to break. So we'll, we'll see. Uh, I'm, I'm excited. I, I kind of wish the Cardinals had a, a huge game down the stretch. Obviously, Houston's a, a big name, but they've kind of fallen apart. Um, but that, I, I think if I had, if I was like controlling this whole thing, I would love to see the Cardinals find a way to get in there. Yeah, I mean, at some point... It's not always going to be this easy for them. At some point, they're not just going to be able to pick four conference champs. I mean, unless the, unless they're completely tied to that conference champ note, and the only way we really see if it's tested, I think, is if we have, you know, four... Two lost Wisconsin mid-10 well, champ. Right. Something like that or something like uh, down the road, not this year, um, like an 11-1 Notre Dame and four 12-1 conference champs, and Notre Dame gets shut out. Like... I, I, I want to see, well, one, the internet would implode, well, mostly from <laughs> laughter, uh, and then Notre Dame would swiftly join the ACC, um, but I, I just think that, you know, right now, like, the, the committee doesn't have to prove anything with the way things are shaking out this year, at least so far, um, so by having a really easy top four, I feel like they're screwing up in the margins, uh, and, and that's definitely exasperating, like, like you said, I don't, I don't think Washington can really suffer a loss right now, given where Ohio State and Louisville are, kind of breathing down their necks. Um, but you look at Washington's schedule still. Uh, you got Colorado at 12. you got USC at 20 for, again, some idiotic reason. And you got Washington State at 23. Um, I mean, to me, Washington's best games are still ahead of them um, from a scheduling standpoint and from a strength of schedule standpoint. Um, if they're really tied to the strength of record measure, you know, Winning those three games on top of number 15, Utah. Uh, I mean, Utah might not still be in the top 25 if they lose to Colorado in the last game, but bear with me. Um, I feel like Washington should be in, but again, I, I, I still have the same doubts you do about, you know, what happens if, what happens with Ohio State if they beat Michigan and then beat Wisconsin again, um, you know, in the uh, in the Big Ten championship. I think the worst thing that could happen. Um, to the Big Ten is, you know, Ohio State beating Michigan um, and then somehow, like, Minnesota gets into the Big Ten championship. And then oh, God. Yeah, and then there's really no gains to oh. be had for anyone. Um, you just have an 11-1... You have a 12-1 Ohio State team uh, that's beaten up on a lot of schools that would have fallen in the polls. I mean, Nebraska wouldn't be in that top 25 anymore if, if Minnesota was able to move up. Wisconsin would be in the top 15 at best. Um Penn State, it would really just depend on what else happened to them. Uh, so, yeah, I, I think that th- that's a very easy line to chaos. Um, you pointed out another one, both involved in the Big Ten. Um, Clemson's got to lose twice for Louisville chaos to really come in, and I I don't see it. But if the other chaos happens and if Washington loses, uh, I wouldn't be surprised to see Louisville kind of swoop in at number four um, if, if Michigan-Ohio State um, and Washington all kind of suffer a loss or maybe two for, for a couple of them. Yeah. Uh, and, and, you know, I guess last year things kind of worked out uh, kind of like 
Super easy. safely for the committee. But the year before, like no, uh, very few people saw Ohio State jumping Baylor and TCU. Like some people predicted it, but not. I mean, it, I would say most people assumed it was going to be TCU heading in. Maybe Baylor on the back of the head-to-head win uh, over the Horn Frogs, and obviously the Buckeyes, which are by far the biggest brand of those three, made the big leap over both. So, um, and uh, on the back of a what a sixty-point win in, in the Big Ten championship over Wisconsin. Right. Um, so like. We don't have a lot of data points uh, to just say, like, this is what the committee will do. And the committee doesn't seem like it's, like, the most consistent thing on a year-to-year basis in terms of what it looks for. Yeah, (laughs) that's that's very true. Um, So uh, it'll be interesting to see. Uh, Clearly, there's a little bit of manufactured drama here, uh, which is, you know, maybe not the most fair thing. But I guess on the content end of things, it's okay. Uh, There are are worse things than... uh, being able to write about uh, outrage and whatnot, even if it's it's not super fair. Um, and, you know, they, they made this playoff to be more fair, so maybe that's not the best thing. We'll, we'll see. Uh, <laughs> the college football loves to be talked about. Obviously, ESPN, which is uh, kind of controlling this whole thing um, in terms of broadcasting the games and the, the rankings and everything else, uh, loves when there is drama like this. So that is why we have weekly rankings at all, which really do not need to happen. I guess one more question about the playoff, Dan. Um, what's the craziest team not currently in the top 25 that you could see in there by season's end? In the rank? Oh. Um, that's tough. I mean, crazy in the top 25, maybe Wyoming if they went out. Like, that's a pretty crazy thing to happen, even though, like, it's on the table. Um, I could buy that. In the P5? Uh, I'm trying to think of, like, who's not... I mean, the fact that, like, Colorado's at 12 is crazy to begin with, and they're obviously not going anywhere. Um, Minnesota. Minnesota, I mean, I half expect it. Like, they should they, be they in, they'll to, be in next week, I think, if they win. I, like, I was just, I was listening to the full cast, like, right before this, and I legitimately had no idea they were 7-2. Well, because they haven't beaten anyone. <laughs> no, like, their Big Ten schedule's hilarious. Like, they, they, almost, they almost snuck out the win at Penn State. And they actually lost to Iowa. Like, they very easily could be – they could very easily be undefeated. Like, they lost to Penn State by three and Iowa by a touchdown. Oof. And then they've, they've had the, the Big Ten gauntlet of at Maryland versus Rutgers, at Illinois versus Purdue. That is a charmed life. Christ. Actually, you know who's going to be in the rankings next week? Texas. I could see that. Yeah, if they get a win, that's dumb. possible. Um, kind of dumb. I mean, they've looked better recently, but yeah. Still dumb. Um, I'm riding with Troy. I, Troy's. I, I hadn't really thought about Troy. That's not a bad one. That'd be fun. If they if they they face App State this week and they face Arkansas State next week. If they yeah. win the, if they win those two games, they pretty much lock up the Sun Belt, um, and then they think they finish against like New Mexico State and I want to say Georgia Southern, who's struggling this year. If they can go eleven and one, they could be as high as maybe twentieth. And then who hires who hires Neil Brown? Um, that depends on whether or not Kentucky makes a bowl game. Kentucky's going to make a bowl game. They're, they have a, they have an FCS. I mean, all right. But I'm not going to pretend like Kentucky couldn't lose to an FCS. <laughs> not this year. <laughs> I, realized, I realized as soon as they said it. But they've actually, like, Kentucky has looked okay like the last couple weeks. They almost beat Georgia, which isn't great. But for Kentucky, it's, like, the biggest thing in the world. See, I, I view um, that game as they lost to Georgia, not that they almost beat them, because they should have won that game. <laughs> All right, that's fair. Kentucky looks like a slight step up from the the dregs of the SEC. Like, they beat South Carolina by a touchdown. Obviously, South Carolina looks better now that Jake Bentley's in, and that was before that. 
Um, they beat Vandy by a touchdown. They beat Mississippi State by two. They beat Mizzou by a couple touchdowns. Like, Kentucky is, like, the bottom of the second-to-last tier. Like, they're, they're a, a solid step above from the absolute trash of the SEC, but they're uh, probably a solid amount below everyone else. I'm interested to see what they do against Tennessee this weekend because Tennessee is as injured as humanly possible um, and just haven't played well since uh, the Alabama ruined them. Um, and then they have Austin P. I, I assume they'll beat Austin P. into a bowl. Fair. Um, I'm trying to think. If they lose to Austin P., Mark Soups is fired. 100%. Oh, yeah. And then, because that would follow that up with, like, Louisville. How many points does Louisville score in Kentucky this year? 80? Minimum. Like, is that the game where, where Petrino's just, like, a total asshole and leaves uh, Lamar Jackson in for the first time for the whole game? Petrino... Uh, not the first time. The first time in a blowout? Petrino's going to cut the brakes off before the game starts. <laughs> Lamar, don't, don't, get, don't get 14 touchdowns today. Okay. Yeah, okay, that, coach. That's the thing that's going to happen. Um, who hires Neil Brown, though? Uh... NC State? Oh, <laughs> Full God. circle. Just, just another goddamn. <laughs> it's another coach. Like, I, mean, I like Neil Brown a lot. Uh, I think he's done a really nice job down there in a short amount of time. Um, who was I thinking of? Purdue? Uh, it's interesting. He's, he's from Kentucky. Like, it's not the craziest. Um, he coached at UK, too. So it's not like he's – and he coached at Texas Tech, which is like Purdue goes to Texas a little bit. That's actually a, that's actually a super interesting fit. I had never thought of that. Of that. Yeah, I, I'm going to have to go with Purdue. I actually feel like a lot of good coaches are going to get jumped this year by, like – like, I think somebody's going to try – like, who's going to – is someone going to try to hire McIntyre away? Can't um, is, is there a job that's really an like a step up from it right that's going to be open? That's tough because like who knows because Colorado has been like super uh, loyal to McIntyre like they gave him as much time as he needed and obviously paid out really well for both sides. Um, didn't they just extend him recently too? Like before this year, I think. Didn't they I think they extension. Extend- and, well, and they've also shelled out like actual multi-year contracts for assistance. It seemed, yeah, it's like Colorado's made done like all the things that you need to do to like keep a guy longer than you could, you should. Um, if someone like huge comes after him, maybe, but like USC, I, who will who will definitely just fire Clay Helton because they feel like it. Yeah, that he's in a weird spot where like he's not so proven that I can see like a, a super uh, like a massive team coming for him because it really is like one year of success, even if obviously he inherited a bad situation and we understand why it took a while, but. They're like he's not gonna go to Purdue, like so. It, it, Colorado's like a weird like. There's like a weird tear jump that he has to make, and he probably needs like another year of, of big success, like another eight or nine win season after this, and then probably gets some some big looks. Ole Miss after uh, U Freeze gets a show cause. Neil Brown or or Mike McIntyre. <laughs> McIntyre. Oh, I was gonna say <laughs> Neil Brown. That's a big jump for Neil Brown. That'd be interesting. I mean, McIntyre seems like a guy who probably does things like roughly the right way, as as, as much as a coach can. Um, sure. Is he even from the South? Like, uh, I don't think he is. Actually, what I could see happening is North Carolina hiring him after Fedora goes to Ole Miss. Ooh, interesting. McIntyre is from Miami. He's <laughs> born in Miami. That <laughs> I did not. I did not think that. He's born in Miami. He played at. Uh, he was at Vandy, and then tra- it looks like he transferred to Georgia Tech. I did not know any of this about Mike McIntyre. There you go. Interesting. Where did? Huh. I don't know if Fedora is going to leave for a non Big Twelve job. And, and McIntyre coached at Ole Miss. 
99 to 2002. So he was Perfect. under, uh, was he under Cutcliffe? Uh, he coached, he coached, uh, he was Duke's DC in 08 09. So he probably coached under Cutcliffe if I'm yeah. not mixing up my Ole Miss, uh, chronology here. No, he was there for huh. that. Interesting. So he is, yeah, that maybe Ole Miss, like that's not, that's, that's a thing that could happen. That could happen. Larry Fedora could happen too. Larry Fedora probably make more sense in terms of like what Ole Miss wants to be most likely. Mm-hmm. Um, but you're also Ole Miss bringing in. I know Fedora hasn't been like connected to any of the stuff at UNC, but Ole Miss bringing in UNC's coach is kind of a weird thing. It is. No, no, it would be really good if, well, not really good for anyone I guess involved. If if the bottom comes out on Texas A&M now, which could, and the boosters decide that they want to move on. Then the prodigal son returns to where he was born. Larry Fedora shows up in College Station. I think someone's done enough this year where he's probably good. Oh, I think um, so too. But people are because stupid. especially with Knight, Knight getting hurt. Yeah, I mean, I'm not I'm not going to put it past A and M to do something rash. Um, I think someone should keep his job. Uh, but if that happened, would someone then go to his alma mater? <laughs> you know what they really should do is. I want a. Which is Purdue for those of us uh, who <laughs> listening who don't follow this stuff as closely. Ted Sullivan to Purdue. <laughs> I would love. No, it would be great. Like troll move. Um, I would love for A and M because they have so much SEC money uh, to hire Charlie Strong as the defensive coordinator. Oh, that'd be amazing! Like, like instead of Texas firing him, A and M hires. <laughs> Just give him like the Will Muschamp at at the the Will Muschamp offer. We're like, hey, come be DC for like head coach, like low level head coach yeah. money. For like a year or two, we know you're going to leave. Just do it, just to and and just to be an asshole to Texas. Yeah. That'd be amazing. Like, hey, that'd Charlie, be so good. Charlie, take three million a year to not deal with that anymore. You know what? He would probably do it. I would. Texas. Oh like, yeah. Texas, why, Texas why job sounds you? like hell. Texas job sounds like worse than the USC job because no one's God. actually talking about the USC job except at the end and the beginning of every year and during the year you're just sitting there. Yeah, I mean that's not going to happen only because uh, isn't uh, Anna has a bit time DC. Uh, yeah, they uh, they got somebody. Uh, Chavis. Yeah, I think they have John Chavis, who they very high profile sniped from. Um, there wasn't there like a lawsuit. Maybe from LSU because LSU kept on beating them senseless, <laughs> so they went and hired John Chavis, who shut down at A uh, and M every year. So like, all right, well he's ours now. And then there was a lawsuit. It was bizarre. Oh. Um, yeah, so I don't think they can move on from John Chavis, who's actually done a pretty decent job there. Yeah. Nonetheless, I want to see. I want to see. I want to see it happen. Nonsense. Like I, I think it would be worth it to to buy out John Chavis, let him go back somewhere else in the SEC because SEC just trades coordinators like every year, um, just just so that they can do that with Charlie Strong. <laughs> oh, that'd be so good. Yeah, honestly, I'm looking down the list. There's not really a ton of jobs that are gonna be open this year. Yeah, I think we, we. I was actually looking at this the other day. I was doing a hot seat thing, and like Baylor, LSU. there are a couple obvious ones, like Kelly, obviously. Um, but it, we got to have the ones out early. Um, I mean, I've, I'm guessing there will be some group of fives, but those are harder to predict because so much of it's predicated on like stuff that we're not aware of. Right. But yeah, like as far as like power five jobs, like it's it's Notre Dame's a possibility. LSU and Baylor are definite. ACC's locked up. Big Ten just went through a pretty big refresh other than Purdue. Um, Pac-12 is pretty good. I mean, USC maybe. 
Uh, UCLA, maybe, I guess. Uh, I mean, does anyone have more regrets than Jim Mora? Jeez. Um, Jim Mora might just fire himself. Like, Jim might. Mora might, might just slip out into this dark night and pop up and uh, pop up at, like, Wazoo after Mike Leach sails away. It's fine. The Browns will just fire Jim Mora if he wants. <laughs> oh, God, that'd be so good. He, they won't even hire him. He'll just, like, he'll just show up with a moving van. Uh, the show in the movie band and Browns be like, all right. Well, I guess we need a new coach. Were, were we gonna fire? Were we gonna fire Hugh? No, we weren't. But he's already here. So yeah. Jim's here with a truck. I don't want to tell him to go away. So <laughs> guess that'd be rude. <laughs> guess we're doing this. Um, yeah. No, there's not a lot of jobs that are gonna come open this year. So not sure where all these coaches are shifting around to. And that's fine. I, uh, I kind of like stability sometimes for program building. I feel like there's a lot of programs across the board in college football. I feel like, to be honest, about 65 to 70% of college football right now is actually en route to building a better program, which might be like a high watermark in the sports history. Yeah. Uh, like, I enjoy the coaching carousel so much, so, like, it's, it's a little um, unfortunate if, like, just because it's fun to, to talk about. But you also, like, you don't want to see people fired for no reason. And also we already have like the Baylor and LSU jobs and quite possibly Notre Dame. So there's like plenty of intrigue to go around already. Right. All right. Uh, on that note, we can uh, shift back over to SU and NC state briefly. Um, folks might not be aware that we've been experiencing a ton of te- technical difficulties. And this is the longest stretch we've had a consistent connection. So uh, while we're still Knock on, on wood. Yeah, so we're on very borrowed time at the moment, so it's time for predictions. Um, I think I'm going to have two different sets, and I'm sure you probably will too. Um, if Dungy plays, I think Syracuse should be able to win this one uh, pretty handily. Uh, I see Dungy being able to throw for well over 350. Um, I see Amba probably catching a couple touchdowns. I see the offense really just getting back into a groove they haven't been in in a couple weeks. Uh, probably since the Virginia Tech game, really, because um, the BC game, that first half, kind of took us out of it a little bit. Um, yeah, I, I see SU being able to get back on track and get a fifth win um, and a nice momentum builder heading into a really tough matchup with Florida State. If Austin Wilson has the start, which I think is going to be the case, um, if Dungy is not playing, I see Syracuse losing a 20-17 to game that's really ugly as sin and, uh, and has us all very upset. Uh, yeah, I, for whatever reason, I just don't have a great feeling about this game as much as we've, like, kind of knocked NC State. I, I just feel like they're going to squeak one out either way. Um, if Dungy plays, I'm going to take the Wolfpack 27-24. If Dungy is out, I'm going to take the Wolfpack, uh, I guess I would just leave it at 27, so I don't know what impact Dungy has on the defense. Um, I would, I'll take the Wolfpack, uh, we'll say 27-17. All right. I mean, disloyal, but whatever. I mean, one of us has to be. That's fair, and usually is me. It's in, so, well, it's in the contract. Yeah, I'm, I'm just, I'm just carrying your water again, John. You're honoring your contract, <laughs> just like, just like you were ordered to. It's what I always, I, I always uh, strive to honor my contract. <laughs> and on that note, uh, Dan, thank you for joining. Despite the technical difficulties today, I uh, did have fun, even in pieces. Um, and everyone else, you'll be listening to this in full um, on one audio file. I promise. We're not going to make everyone download seven different things. No, maybe. I mean, maybe that's something they want to do. Not like you have to go in there individually. Your podcast provider does that for you. Fair enough. Um, Anyway, 
Dan, any uh, parting shots for you before we uh, sign off for the week? Uh, rest in peace, Leonard Cohen, who apparently passed away today. Uh, ah, geez, I of, didn't know that. Yeah, just, like, just broke. Yeah. All right, I will echo that sentiment as well. Tw- 2016 is, is undefeated, uh, unfortunately. Not good. Um, on that note, again, RIP. Um, and go Orange this weekend. Go Orange. At Jared, we know devotion isn't a once-a-year occasion. And once the flowers have wilted and the chocolates have disappeared, you'll still want them to know how much you care. Dare to give a gift that lasts this Valentine's Day with our incredible selection of jewelry. From delicate rose gold to bold black diamonds, Jared has hundreds of pieces under $299 and exclusive collections you won't find anywhere else. Shop online or find a store near you at jared.com and dare to be devoted.